questions that uh, delegates had about uh, some of the, the, the issues that haven't been resolved or the issues that may not be resolved today but are ongoing issues. So this panel is, is designed to deal with some of those issues and, and have those conversations but with, with you as well. So I'm going to uh, introduce Nick Hurd uh, again who is going to uh, chair, chair this session. Please welcome Nick and his panel. Okay. Thanks, Michael. Um, okay, so um, before we get started, I know inevitably in any um, symposium, conference, seminar, whatever one wants to call it, as the day goes on, there aren't as many people in the room as there were at the beginning. But um, um, Justin, in his session, asked people to identify one, who were researchers, and two, who were working uh, in youth arts. So I just want to have another quick straw poll so that we up here on the panel know, you know who we're talking to. So who are our researchers? And who are um, working with youth arts? Okay, so it's still the majority of the people in the room. We're very conscious of the fact that most of the people up, sitting up here are researchers and that the majority of people still in the room are youth arts practitioners. And one of the, the things that we want to get to is, okay, um, you've heard a lot about various um, research projects, uh, about various ways in which people are um, doing projects with youth. How can we, in the time that we've got available, make some progress in, in terms of where we might get to in, in moving forward? Um, we've had a, a very quick discussion um, in the break about um, what we might do. So the way we're going to structure this is we're going to talk for a little bit um, about where um, we think this might go um, and then let the, the rest of the session go with the questions that you have, the ideas that you have. Some of you may be sitting, of sitting there all day um, with a burning question or the result of listening to all of this has led you to a space where you think, ah, I've got an idea that we need to, to, to try out. Um, I think one of the issues that we, um, we talked about just briefly then is the questions around um, resourcing um, and in, in terms of the kinds of companies that are involved in doing this work with, um, with young people um, may not have the resources available to um, to do the research. So we want to explore questions around um, networking of knowledge that's already there and also to explore questions of how um, the kinds of things that you know, small to medium companies are doing that um, could be adapted very easily to um, getting you know, richer um, information results in terms of, of research and analysis. What I'm going to do is um, throw first to Chris Spurgeon, because while we were talking, Chris sort of neatly, I think, encapsulated three themes that we've been hearing during the day. Um, I'll give an opportunity for other members of the panel to respond to that if they want to, and then I'll throw it open for questions from the floor. Um, 
thanks very much, Nick. Um, it seemed to me that in terms of the, um, the kind of um, action or outcomes for research that um, emerge from today's really, really interesting and um, very provocative um, discussions, um, uh, the, the, one of the core, well, the core theme is really about how we make arts um, more social or sociable, um, that this is actually really crucial and understanding this is really crucial to um, um, developing engagement strategies, particularly around youth audiences. And it seemed out of, to me out of that there are three possible lines of inquiry or threads that we might pursue. One of them you could say is cosmetic and that's around better marketing. Um, but in fact it's not because once you move into integrated um, um, strategies and embedding strategies with marketing you actually do need to, to change what you do and how you do it. So that's one, how can better, a question or set of questions around how can better marketing help address youth participation for example through embedding and integrating opportunities to participate in the cultures of target um, groups, in this case youth markets. <coughs> Um, a more um, sort of structural change or call for a, 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 you know, deeper rethinking um, around problems and challenges of engagement also emerges. And it seems to me that that comes from um, experts within the sector, um, in, um, that is our, our youth arts practitioners um, and their professional networks. It seems to me there's a great deal of expertise there and that we need to find ways of um, making that available um, um, for uh, major companies and um, other stakeholders to actually tap into in ways that, you know, mobilise that in ways that would be useful to them in thinking through programming, for example, programming and presentation strategies. And then I think a third theme that emerges today, which is also really important, is one about um, really coming to terms with um, non-metropolitan outer urban uh, populations, uh, regional populations, their needs and interests in this debate. Uh, and not to be thinking of, 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 of people in these locations as problems that are somehow rather unmanageable, but actually as opportunities, not just in terms of um, sites where new ideas about pra new practices and new possibilities of what arts practice might be might emerge from, but um, um, also places where um, engagement and participation also have the greatest impact. I'll leave it there, thanks. And invite um, other panellists yeah, so facilitators to respond. Does anybody else want to, on the panel, want to um, respond to that or amplify it, add to it? It's Chris Sinclair here. Um, I've just got um, an elaboration that's been on my mind um, during the day that we didn't talk about, but it, it was in a dialogue during a, a number of the, the, um, the presentations today, and that's about the nature of youth as not a single demographic, and that um, it's something that was very strong in our research and resonated a lot with our industry partners, but it, we haven't talked about it today, but it impacts on everything, um, because we actually aren't targeting one group. We're targeting, in an age group of between 14 and 30, you've got multiple demographics anyway, and, you, and, and even between 14 and 18, you've got all different kinds of participants and attenders, and, and so for all of those different groups, you've got different issues about um, reaching them and engagement, and, and different kinds of engagement. So that's something that I, I thought we need to bring into the conversation. 
there were gradals, and there was one group I was particularly interested in, labelled the culturally aware non-attenders <laughs> that was mentioned in someone's session today. But this is something that we um, struggled with running our, our session in that it was for youth and um, we started discussing, well, our 16-year-old brother's quite different to our 24-year-old sister who's different too. And, um, you know, so w what is youth? And um, I guess picking up the point of um, marketing, like this would be sort of doing some fairly high-level segmentation but often we're, we're just directing things out to, to mass audiences and um, maybe that's, well, it's not the best approach if you're going to go down digital routes and so forth because the quality of your lists, the quality of your targeting is imperative to, to the success of any program that you're running. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's, a, that's a question that we uh, tackled in, in More Than Bums on Seats about segmentation and the, and you know culturally aware non-attenders as another word for one of the segments that we identified which is people whose attitudes towards the arts are quite positive but there are certain barriers to their their attendance and i think we've heard some issues in the discussion today around the the design of venues and 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 so on and, and you know, the example the used of a you know turning a uh, a Westfield shopping centre into a, an art space and getting engagement in that, that way um, is, is getting to those issues of how venues are designed and the socia sociability of, of venues. Yeah. Yep. Hello, Justin Brower here. Um, thinking about it, I reckon there's It'd be the research, the Australian Research Council would probably jump at the idea if you were to pull the right sort of partners together to um, explore the capacity for, like you get a bunch of test theatre companies that you know are just you know going about their own sort of engagement qualities whether with, with youth in particular, so it's a big focus on engaging youth in, in the arts. Um, so a bunch of people that are just doing whatever it is they're doing and then you get a bunch of people who are operating like We've heard a lot today about taking it to where the audience is, like so going into the youth, where youth hang out and that sort of stuff, um, and operating on that on that sort of level, like for, from a number of perspectives, like before as as a lead up to the events, um, you know, using technology not just as a communications tool to say, oh, it's on on the April the fifth or whatever. Um, but like to prepare them, oh, I loved the term from my colleague actually, Sandra from QUT used earlier, designated interaction. I thought that was pretty cool. So this is like a, like a preparation for the experience, like in, you know, scoping these kids up to the kind of stuff that they could possibly expect and, and why they'd be engaged, why they'd be interested in that sort of thing. I think that'd be interesting. And then following it through possibly with engagement whilst the performance is on um, in that capacity as well. And then after the event, like continuing that conversation with the youth, I think would be really, really interesting and insightful. Um, yeah, like I reckon any of the arts bodies, like, you know, Arts Queensland, for instance, or would be interested in those findings. Mm. I'm interested in Matthew, you talked before about, and, and Sarah brought this up about the, the question of resourcing for particularly small to medium companies um, about doing this kind of research. And you were making the point that there are things that these companies are already doing which can be turned into research results. 
Um, yeah, so it's Matthew. Yeah, we're talking about the, the, um, with the project I did, which started off as a, as a research exercise using drawing. That then shifted in the collaboration with Imaginate the Partner, where we then used... Um, together. I think um, where we then transferred the research process into a, an engagement process, so it, it became a series of of um, activities. <laughs> I can't hear myself. Um, became a series of activities. We we rolled them out as CPD sessions for teachers, where we, we essentially uh, worked with primary school teachers to help them engage better with the arts. They became um, sort of s s um, online resources and other kind of resources. So essentially, the the, the gap between research and the activity that the organization were doing to, to, to work with their audiences uh, anyway sort of narrowed. So I mean I think a lot of activities that, that if we're saying we're, we're engaging with the audiences through post-show talks, through social media, through other mechanisms, they aren't that different from the ways in which researchers would engage with, with audiences. Mm -hmm. There's a difference in terms of what you do with it and there also needs to be a, an element of, of outside eye in terms of the analysis of it, otherwise you just look at it to, to see how wonderful you are. Um, but still those processes can, can overlap. So you know, the example of, of the, the catapult group would seem to be that it would be those people who you'd want to be co-researchers with an outside researcher to, to explore what the effectiveness of that is, because otherwise there's no way an outside researcher can, can get the information. So effectively it, it's, it's ways in which you can, you can bring your core activity and to work maybe with a funder to say part of my core activity is, is research um, but that is about engaging with my audience as opposed to just presuming that I know what they think. And if, like, I'm just going to comment on the extension of provision of knowledge um, and I suppose inner networking within the art forms and the, the different musical organisations. I was just commenting to you as we were walking out, do we always have to look at major performing arts groups and professional groups and maybe if we look at a grassroots level and at community music and what we can learn from those. Can I just say one thing about that? Mm. It's Chris Sinclair here again. Um, <laughs> I've done a lot of teleconferencing this year. Um, I, I, I was thinking about this when uh, Sarah raised the, the point about how the, the, the limited resources that a small company has for having research and um, to, to make that happen. And one of the issues, uh, maybe this is just from fellow researchers, um, some of the, the, the structures around uh, getting research grants and, and, and having partners come to you is that there's an expectation that they come with resources to be part of the research project and, and ha that, that makes it much more difficult for small groups and under-resourced groups to be partners, for example, in the, um, the Australian Research Council model of research. So that's only one model, I know, but it's, it's interesting that, that that's, you know, we went to big, we had big industry partners who, who could contribute financially and in kind in ways that uh, the Community Music Council wouldn't have been able to do. And I mean, it's obviously you know, apples and oranges, but that's, that's one of the, the constraints that we deal with in universities when we're looking to create research. So it's, you know, it's an interesting one for us that I don't know how, I'd be interested to hear about thoughts on how to solve that. Can I, before I, I throw it up into the floor for questions, the, the Maybe the, maybe the academic researchers don't want to hear this, but I mean, I think the Australia Council sort of started down this role of devising um, resources and toolkits that companies can use. Okay, at the moment it's still with the major companies, but 
that I think, you know, as we go, go out, there's, there's ways of, of us developing res research tools that address some of the things that Matthew is talking about that companies like um, St. Martin's could use or we could you know, develop the network so that the, the cost implications, the resource implications aren't as huge and you, um, as a small to medium, get a richer result from, as Matthew said, what you're already doing and turning, turning that into something that's, that's useful and shareable with other companies. Okay, questions, ideas, provocations? I was going to touch on that last thing you mentioned, Nick, Justin Brow. Um, is there much sharing between, of knowledge, of information between theatre companies? Like small ones, like yours? Like, do you hang out and chat? Sarah Austin speaking. It's <laughs> um, a good microphone, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> We do. We have a, a number of networks. We have a, a peak body for uh, young people in the arts in Australia. Um, and in Victoria, we have a network of small to medium organisations working with young people who meet regularly, as well as a, a network for small to medium organisations. So, yes, there's, there's places where... I think resource sharing is a big issue for the sector. It was raised as a big issue at the Australian Theatre Forum. Um, and information sharing is part of that. Um, so that's where I see a really strong intersection between the academy and um, uh, university institutions yeah. and small to medium organisations is how can we... And it's interesting, that your, your point too, Nick, because it ties into, I think, a kind of developing rhetoric around the importance of evaluation in all of the, in the practice that we do and, and we're conscious of that in our organisation and that's about not only kind of documenting and getting a sense of how we might improve and develop what we do but um, also about um, disseminating the information um, more broadly and having better metrics to, to measure have we been successful, are we actually being inclusive Mm. Those kinds of things. Yeah. Mm. Well, certainly the question of evaluation is a huge one which the council is, is dealing with. Um, we're dealing, dealing with it internally. It's a big issue for my team this year. We're working on a big project around you know, skilling up people inside the council about evaluation, what it means, how you think evaluatively, and you know, increasingly, as you say, um, we're, we, we are or will be putting demands on the, the organisations we fund around evaluation and making sure that the, with the budgets that come with funding, there's money to pay for proper evaluation. Uh, and it becomes a, it comes a, you know, a hierarchy, if you like, of at that grassroots level of research, which then feeds into evaluation, which then feeds into how we as a funding organisation evaluate what the outcomes are from what you do and what we've, do, we've done, and then you know, further up as government asks questions about, well, why do we have an arts funding organisation? What are, what are the outcomes of that? So they're, they're big questions, but I think that's the crucial central question that we're all, we're all grappling with. Can I ask a question about that? Yeah. John's got... <laughs> Sorry, John. <laughs> After you, Ricky, Jack. 
I guess I wanted to talk about that because um, it, it came up in the way that Matthew was describing that incredibly sort of time intensive but in incredibly exciting evaluation of young people's responses to a piece of theatre that they'd seen is the idea of quality of evaluation. I mean, we talk about the quality of the of the product and the and the art experience, but but I I wonder, are we have we got best models of ways to actually have as as best as possible unmediated evaluation how do we actually find really um, as close to possible as kind of genuine which is so problematic responses and and not just doing this kind of qualitative uh, quantitative approach but actually um, spending the time and the money on the much more labor intensive qualitative approach to evaluating because Matthew didn't talk about it today but uh, one of the programs that he has been doing with neuroscientists um, where he was evaluating qualitatively and they were evaluating with MRIs and, and other kind of brain wave scans and things was really, they couldn't really say anything about the person's engagement with the piece of dance they were watching but, but Matthew's qualitative research could bring a whole range of incredible, um, you know, responses that weren't necessarily, I guess, authentic, but they were adding to the conversation, they were furthering the conversation, they were contributing to the longer experience, which is the term Matthew uses. And I just wonder whether we will become so caught up in evaluating that we'll, it will become a quick fix model and whether there are, there, there are procedures in place to ensure that we actually gather r really rich and, and fascinating information. Sorry, that was really long. And just a quick comment about that, Sarah speaking, um, is Let's not forget, as the arts practitioner up here, that it's very difficult to measure the corners of the human heart. Um, Someone just... else said that first, yeah. by the way. <laughs> it's not an original quote. The point is John John O'Toole had his hand up. I'm afraid I'm going to change the subject slightly, because part of uh, part of a conversation is also listening to the silences, uh, the things that aren't being talked about. And there's one thing that, one part of this conversation has been only, to, m to my ears, been mentioned just briefly by Lenine earlier this morning, which is to do with the formal and informal training of not just artists, but uh, um, the producers, the administrators, the the architects and planners of the next generation, if the kind of paradigm shift that most of today has been about, uh, shifting attention onto the quarter of the lifespan that doesn't get a quarter of the money or attention, um, to what extent are the formal and informal training opportunities for that next generation, who are currently themselves young people, uh, coming, coming, are they actually coming up to scratch? Are they going to be? My, my perception is that quite a lot, for instance, of our conservatories still see training as training for something for for an older audience and uh, for for older people, mm -hmm. and that maybe architects still are designing buildings or being trained to design buildings for an, a previous generation. I just wondered, uh, I'd be really interested to hear what from your uh, various, very diverse contexts, what you've, you've found. 
formal and informal. So could before the young person speak, can I just say something on his behalf? <laughs> Look, I, know he won't want, I know he won't want to say this, but I think actually that was a really fantastic example of a practitioner also engaging in research and reflection and evaluation. And because um, he wouldn't be able to pick himself up, so I kind of in that, in that sense for him. But in terms of, of reflection on my own students, who aren't as fantastic as he is, but almost <laughs> as fantastic, um, there is an awareness there, I think, of, of arts practitioners um, who are also engaged in, in, in a kind of horrible word, kind of portfolio of activities. So there are arts practitioners, and they're engaged in applied education practice, and they're engaged in all this kind of social media stuff here, which you know is 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 just second nature. And they're also engaged in a way that they need to evaluate and reflect and research. And that, I think, is, is hopefully, sort of in the UK anyway, w w when we're engaged in teaching practitioners, we're not, you know, we're doing all those things as well, or trying to. Um, and, and clearly, it's already happening here, in a sense, so. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, in, in oh, sorry, Michael speaking, sorry. Um, to be honest, in a conservatorium environment, though, it's not really happening, I'm oh. finding. Yeah, sorry to <laughs> cut that idea up. But um, to, to speak of it in context of the night shift idea and that type of inclusive participation for classical music, um, when we would canvass the idea with colleagues, as we mentioned before, it was a, a, negative, a negative reaction, unfortunately. And um, I think even the way that um, if you, I think if you surveyed students at a conservatorium level, um, most of them are a little bit heads in the cloud, kind of, they know that they'll, let's, okay, do four years of study and then walk out and they'll get a job. Um, and I think really maybe it's a, more of a, we need to talk to them about, you know, keeping their feet on the ground and the fact is that they have to create their own work and that they have to be creative in their approach. Um, and just to think, I suppose, in terms of, um, it doesn't help in the conservatorium level because there's so much competition and there's so many egos that um, you know you're all striving to be the best performer and um, we become I think we put our musician our music students up on this kind of um, pedestal that they are gifted and they're the best of the of the classical world and really they need to be reminded that we're servants at the end of the day <laughs> you know and we always have been um, sorry <coughs> yeah. I just wanted to comment on uh, what Chris was saying uh, and what Nick was saying about research and to point out to companies that there are PhD prospective PhD students out there that would love to be attached to some of your companies and who could get uh, scholarships from the Australian government to do that. Um, and with a little bit of support and a little bit of kind of putting it out there, um, those people are around. Um, I've had those people knocking at my door saying, I'd really love a project in the community arts sector or do you know of anything? Um, if there was a place where you put up we really want this researched.com, um, a lot of PhDs, and there's probably people on your own staffs and in your own networks who would be competitive for a, an Australian Postgraduate Award. So don't only think about the huge pieces of research or the self-evaluation, also consider those PhD masters and honours students that are out there and waiting for the opportunity to be involved. Uh, as a former conservatorium director, I'm tempted to answer you say John's. Your name? Oh, sorry, Helen Lancaster. As a former conservatorium director, John, I'm f tempted to answer your question, but I think Michael did it better. Um, <laughs> and and I actually wanted to comment on Justin's suggestion, which I think I'm sorry, Justin, I seem to have become a fan. Um, I think it's a really 
good one that there is an ARC there begging. And in doing that, I need to address Christine's question, which was about how do the organisations, which are not-for-profits, uh, manage to contribute to that? The Music Council of Australia has supported a number of ARCs, uh, some with cash and some with kind. And one of the ways in which we've been able to support with more cash is where we get paid to do some of the work. And, and so, you know, we pay in more money and then we get paid for services rendered. And some of us who are ourselves uh, researchers, I'm a researcher in cultural policy, um, get to do it for nothing. But that's all part of, you know, it's all part of the fact that the, you, how do you measure the heart? And you also need to consider too that organisations such as what uh, the not-for-profits sometimes have connections with the big end of town and they can bring the money in through the organisation. So, you know, don't, don't be frightened off by the fact that you're wanting to link with a not-for-profit. It's a great idea and, you know, you can get blood out of a stone if you try. <laughs> yeah, and Justin Brow, just quickly on that, is um, like the, the group, the, the broader group that you referred to a minute ago, that the, the no, no the um the network yeah network. young people in the arts Australia they're the ones that you partner with within a research project yeah because <laughs> then you get access to all their network network members and then the the the, the collaborative in kind support that they can all contribute if they can contribute ten thousand dollars worth of in kind support then suddenly you're looking at fifteen you know one hundred and fifty grand. Um, just on the research thing, just very briefly. Uh, you can say uh, your name. Oh, sorry, Andy Arthurs. Um, just on the research side, we've been devising something actually with Blueware. Five or six of the actual group are now going to do postgrad research mm. on elements of where what they're doing, because that way, mm. you know, it, it sort of embeds research into an innovation into what is actually a, a an artistic company. Um, but but what, um, what I was just taking again, like Helen uh, from Justin, to say take it to where the audience is mm. um, as, as a sort of theme that seems to have emerged quite a lot, which is often thought to be a little bit dirty because, you know, you could use the nasty entertainment word if you're not careful by doing that. So you know, uh, it's an interesting <coughs> dilemma for people when they do that. I know, um, I know the conservatorium students have that, that problem. Um, What's that? Describing their art as their craft as entertainment, as audience focused in some way, and it therefore being sullied by the fact that they've done that. And uh, most people here know that that syndrome. Um, but what I was going to to ask is, do you think, uh, given that we've talked about live versus screen versus digital, uh, do you think that one of the ways we could move forward? is to obliterate the idea of a venue being only a physical place, mm. that consuming of, and, and in, that, that, in that I include the making of art, should be more uh, seen as porous across all those different media. Mm. Um, and you know whether it's a shopping center, it's a TV screen, it's a computer screen, it's, mm. a, you know, it's a, a tablet, whatever it is, that we need to see all of those as the same thing manifested in different ways to different audiences and bringing it to where the audience is mm -hmm. then will be a much easier strategy. 
So I'm just wondering if, if any of the panel can think of how we could do that, because we seem to have different institutions set up from a different era to not facilitate that. Well, I, it's Nick here again. I mean, I think that goes to the point that I made in the, in the first session this morning, which is, you know, we need to broaden our understanding of what participation is, mm. and that we need to keep that front and centre of our mind because we can um, beat ourselves up over the fact that young people are not going to main stage theatre and think that there's something, you know, direly wrong with the way in which our culture is, is going. And, but the question is, well, if they're not doing that, where else are they going to get their engagement with the culture? Because you know, the thing about cultures is they're not static, they change. And I don't know the answer to this, um, but you know, I suspect that you know, it comes back to the question asked, can someone lead a fully expressive life without attending you know, live theatre or going to the opera? You know, can they get their engagement from attendance at, at, at visual arts, from reading, from you know, what they you know, fully engaging with um, recorded music, or just doing what they do in their, in their home? And we need to you know, really understand that you know, there's a lot of that probably going on that we're not actually measuring. Um, just, uh, I haven't got a solution. Oh, it's Chris Sinclair here. Um, and it's, I haven't got a solution because I'm a bit tired. But um, the, the, um, the, that question about um, that you raised, uh, one of the things that I think came out of our theatre space research was that a lot of the young people that we talked to didn't make those distinctions between different kinds of engagement in, in the arts. So we might have been looking at their main stage engagement, but when we talked to them, the, 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 the lines between participation and seeing a show that their friends did in the local school and going to... to um, a, a main stage, a big production musical, they, they slipped very easily across those lines and much more so than perhaps, you know, we, we did in terms of interpreting what, what came out. And I think that was an important lesson for us about, about those, those silos. It's a, oh, sorry. Hello. Um, Sarah Parsons here from Australian Theatre for Young People. Um, I just want to have a little chat about um, the resource sharing among companies and sort of backtrack a bit. And a question kind of directed to Sarah and Katrina from St Martin's. Um, I guess just about the access and the training for arts management and staff in arts companies. Um, and marrying that with ideas spoken earlier about um, digital skill sharing online and that sort of thing. I was just wondering if there might be a possibility sometime um, to work on something like that for other arts organisations in the country? Yes. <laughs> Keep me posted? Yes. Yeah, so we're, we're really conscious of the fact that we think that what we're doing is, is innovating um, and showing great leadership in that particular area and we're really conscious of the fact that the sooner that we can actually get that out to our colleagues mm. in, in any way, shape or form, 
that they'll start picking it up too. And because I think what we're also showing as a small to medium company and what we're very proud of and showing the majors is that you can do this stuff. Yeah. This isn't, it is, it's hard work, it's not easy. But if we can offer Auslan interpreted and audio described sessions, so can they. Yeah. And if we can have, yeah, if we can have young people on stage telling their stories who have disabilities or are from um, culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, so can they. So, uh, thanks, Lenine. <laughs> and none of this is none of this is without its challenges. I mean, I want to be really clear about that because it, it is it's it's difficult. It, it's it's it takes it's a it's it's a paradigm shift and yeah. it takes change and you've got to bring teams with you. Mm. But we're we're absolutely doing it and we're very keen to to share how. But that would, of course, be um, Justin Brow here. That would, of course, because that, that's pretty unique IP that you've created there, and, they're, and therefore very unique, <laughs> and therefore very marketable, right? So you'll be looking at doing this as a service, right? Yes. Can I add something? Can I add something? You need a mic. Yeah. Um, I guess for me. So, oh God, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> Sorry, Mazer, I'm embarrassed. My name's Katrina Gabb. I'm from St Martin's Youth Arts Centre. I'm the access officer there. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sacked. Bef before I started working at St Martin's Youth Arts Centre, I had always worked for organisations whose core purpose was to... Um, provide access to the arts. So this, this for me was a completely new idea to go into a mainstream organisation and actually start to become part of it and agitate for change from inside. <coughs> and I think that's what's been incredibly exciting is that instead of working with other artists and other, other programmers and blah, 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 who we're all feeling the same way, we're all trying to do the same thing, to go into an organisation and to begin change, which when the organisation had just started to understand that it needed to become more inclusive, was incredibly exciting and still is. And yes, we're absolutely committed to, to, to sectoral, sectoral change and that means training and that means writing manuals. Sectoral. And, Sectoral. 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 I'm tired. I got up at 4.20, all right? Anyway, I wonder the what point being... South Yarra. <laughs> I don't live in South Yarra. Anyway, um, my point is, yes, we want to share. There's a question up the back. Uh, yes, hello, Simone again. Um, I'm interested in the idea of the space in which we make theatre. I'm also interested in the idea of looking at young people as cultural assets mm -hmm. um, who have something worth saying that we perhaps as the um, older dinosaurs need to listen to. I'm also interested in, the, uh, in a post-capitalist world what we do with empty shops because as more and more shops get empty and more and more shopping gets online, it seems to me there, there, there is an opportunity to create pop-up cultural spaces. And Brad, I'm interested in <coughs> that creativity, that idea of how can we link young people to these cultural spaces via a business model where they're entrepreneurial, they're, they're uh, supported to be entrepreneurial and not just end users of a product that uses social media to push it, if you understand what I'm saying. So the creativity actually is embedded in the process about them being uh, supported to be cultural agents of change. 
Um, I guess there's a, there's a lot in that um, that you're talking about, but yeah, I guess um, being in Europe this year, I really did see some of these um, really um, engaged shop fronts that had just gone from dilapidated um, sort of shells to become sort of artist or fashion sort of showings, etc. And um, you know, I really think that you'd need to keep an open mind about um, moving into spaces um, in an organic way to really um, go where the young people are moving and how they're living their lives. Um, cultural capital, I'm not sure whether I'd ever assess an individual as a, an asset as such, but you know, I, I think we, we need to, to really um, recognise that this sort of thing is a co-creation process these days. Um, that is like, uh, some members on my panel talked about the, the, the value in showing um, the performance, um, showing aspects of the excitement online. And I, I think sometimes if you follow a, a traditional approach where it's just sort of a, a finite output, you're not going to get that ongoing engagement. They, they do want something that's a, a little bit more flexible um, in, in my mind. Um, yeah, I, did that answer your question? I, no. no. Do you want to rephrase? Or? I, I reckon um, from stuff I've done in the past, I've, I think that, and I don't know if it's just Australia, but it's probably not, but I haven't had spent much time overseas. Um, but there seems to be a remarkable um, capacity and drive for people in business like entrepreneurs for, for instance, entrepreneurs or people with um, financing skills or communication skills or um, investment um, business modelling and all that sort of stuff to lend of their wisdom for free because it makes them feel good, you know, in that altruistic sort of thing. So, so it's certainly possible. It's just like linking these people up, creating a network and then getting them to engage. And then that can, that can tap in regionally as well as metropolitanly. Um, what is it? Met what met met metropolitanisms. Um, yeah, through, yeah. The, through the NBN, for instance. Yeah, thanks, Justin. Simone, again. I just, uh, the reason that I'm asking is I just did a, um, a site lab residency as an artist through Campbelltown Arts Centre and spent three weeks in a 70% empty shopping mall in Minto. Mm. And if you know Minto, it's Greater Rad. Western Rad. Sydney. Um, and 70% of those shops were empty and as artists we got to inhabit, 10 of us got to inhabit those shops and do what we want with them and open the shops, shop full of big ideas, a coffee shop that exchanged coffee for art and suddenly was, we got visited by young people, old people, you know, locals. And suddenly those shops were full of cultural activity mm. without even uh, having... To, to do a marketing strategy and, and go and engage them because we were there. And hanging out and having a conversation was art. Well, it wasn't quite the art of conversation, but, you know, ha connecting face-to-face uh, -face with people happened under the name of, uh, you know, a, an arts project. So I'm interested in how we can um, give young people access to space to identify and practise their own their own arts practices, cut through the red tape um, and work with businesses on a model that activates the space and, you know, as Lenine was talking about, reduces the crime, engages people in community activity and, and makes it possible. Now, that happened through a curatorial program at Campbelltown Arts Centre. Mm. Um, and, and I'm interested in... If, 
people have heard of other models or have ideas towards how we can make, uh, give young people access to um, space, which is, seems to be one of the key questions. Can I just um, talk very, very briefly about um, something that the Australia Council has, has initiated, which is not specifically about youth, but includes youth, and it's, it's a, a pilot project called Cultural Places, which we're, um, we're partnering with the, three, um, the state government and local government. So in, in Queensland, it's with um, Arts Queensland and the Rockhampton, Rockhampton City Council, and in South Australia with Arts SA and the City of Alexandrina. And what that is about, it's a three-year project. It's about looking at how those three levels of government can um, affect, change, and put culture and cultural planning at the centre of local development and local um, growth and gen gen generation. And the idea is that they're pilot projects which we hope will demonstrate um, how the, that sort of cooperation, particularly starting at the grassroots level um, in, in loca localities, and these are also regional centres, can actually demonstrate you know, issues around um, sustainability, around social inclusion, about the role of art in the community and so on. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that is something which we're trying to address in a very systematic way. So there are a couple more, there's a question. Lots and lots of questions. Lots yeah, and hi. lots of questions. It's uh, actually here from Contact Inc. Um, I was just, there's a question about the research. There's a question about the research uh, from earlier. And Christine, you mentioned that you, uh, you know, you had trouble around finances and, and in-kind support you were getting. You got a lot of that from the majors. Well, that was, sorry. sorry. That was the focus of the research, yeah. Yeah, I was right. just thinking about when we, what's next and different kinds of... Because one of my thoughts was when, when, like when Sarah was talking and the barriers they've overcome with quite limited resources, they've, mm. they've obviously gone to, to great lengths to get representation and, and diversity in there. And I'm just thinking, you know, and that's about will and political will. I'm just thinking, you know, the research that you were doing, you know, if there's another way of doing stage two with the diversity and using some of the, maybe some of those techniques about, you know, using Auslan, but really just taking the next level and having the will behind it that we want the representation, that's what we're committed to. I think we can find the money. And I think some of the majors, maybe the majors go, we'll put this much money in and we'll get a community arts organisation and we'll fund ourselves, our own part and them. And so basically part of the research grant is every major that comes on board partners with a, a community organisation and funds both of them all. Yeah. You know, there's, there's some way of structuring it such that that's guaranteed to happen because it's too easy to let that stuff fall off the table. So. Yeah. Thank you. So um, I think we've got, we're running out of time. Um, Lisa, Lisa had a question. Um, G'day, it's Lisa Philip Harbert from Community Arts Network in South Australia. Um, I don't know of an artist or an arts organisation that doesn't set about to make great art. They all understand action research, whether they call it that or not, and often have a policy of continuous improvement. I reckon Tom Banks said it really well when he said today, you just have to listen. <laughs> There's plenty happening in youth arts, but not necessarily a lot of listening going on by those in power. The making and presentation of art is social data that the academy could be interested in in the first case, not necessarily the second and third and fourth, which often is what happens. Mm. Mm. Sorry, comment only, sorry. <laughs> I don't think that's a question. Yep. Anybody on the panel want to take on that? <laughs> no. 
Hi, uh, Trish from the Joan Sutherland Performing Arts Centre in Penrith. It's actually just a comment on what was mentioned um, by Simone previously. There is actually um, an organisation in Sydney, and I believe in a couple of different cities, and it's been propagated from other cities around the world, called Empty Space Initiatives, yes. Yes. Um, which is happening right now in Sydney. So if, I just wanted to mention <coughs> if anyone is looking for a disused yes. commercial space, the Sydney Harbour Foreshore Authority is actually using that right now yes. and has spaces up for offer, and I think they're actually about to go into the next round. So, okay. And I, have a, I think that project is actually about to get... Um, a lot more significant in the way it's being rolled out. Yeah. So there are things like that happening. And that, I think, in Australia started in Newcastle, I believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah, this is not art, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and just back on the, the Westfield thing, I, I think that that's possibly something that's being propagated through Westfield as well because we are partnered right next door Westfield Shopping Centre. We run a DJ program out there um, and started that and they've actually just started taking that on themselves and are doing that whole statistical thing of going, okay, how many young people are here and, and how many are no longer involved in this crime or that crime or whatever. And they're also noting a significant um, change. I don't think the program is as extensive as what you've used previously, but we are looking at moving that model forward. And that's something that's coming from... Um, it's something that's coming from Westfield Security. So I think there are a lot of corporate organisations mm. that, um, as Lisa said, there are things happening that we may not be aware mm. of and that sometimes it might just be going to that person and saying, hey, what are you doing, instead of assuming that they're not. Yeah. yeah. Kate Donnellan Kate here from University of Melbourne, from a Theatre Space Research. Um, <laughs> it's a really big one, but it might be really short. <laughs> Nick, in the light of your, your comments before, and also following up by any member of the panel because it would be really interesting. How do the Australia Council define culture? <laughs> How does the Australia Council define culture? Yeah. Um, in, a well, in a sentence or two. In a <laughs> sentence or two. Okay. Um, ooh. Um, <laughs> sort of how to, how to answer this. Um, we are a, an arts funding organisation. I mean, we, you look at what we're charged under our legislation to do, but um, the, what, what has been defined as arts, if you look at the history of the Australia Council, what has been defined as the arts has been fairly fluid. Um, we, we have this structure of art form boards, um, some of them be, have been there for 40 years. Some of them are relatively new, such as inter-arts and community partnerships, which gives you an indication of the, the how I say, the, the openness of the council to consider new art forms. Um, and you know, someone, I think it may have been Ricky Jane, or some, I, I may be doing a disservice, talked about you know, what is the, rela the relationship between um, screen-based art and what the kind of art is that the council funds. Well, in fact, we actually do fund quite a bit of screen-based art um, and, and have done for some time. So to get back to your question of how does the Australia Council define culture, I don't think you'll be able to find somewhere in our website where we said define culture equals. Mm. I th but I think what the, the, the question is is that we're, we, we want to be open to... Um, different kinds of art forms within the general, um, if you like, um, legislative requirement to fund excellence. And there's whole lots of questions about well, what do we mean by excellence? And you know that's that's probably um, a topic for another day of discussion. 
Um, so I don't know whether that answers your question, um, but certainly from, you know, from my point of view, what I see that we're doing here at the Australia Council is supporting um, a vibrant culture in, in Australia through how we fund and support individual artists and arts organisations and how we help audiences to find uh, that, that art. Um, there are boundaries, of course, in the, the sense of, you know, when we start straying over into the kinds of things which uh, other agencies do, like Screen Australia, for example, or what um, museums and collection organisations start to do. Uh, and that really begs the question of how the, the various agencies that have part of the picture for the whole of cultural funding in Australia are talking to each other and cooperating with each other. Um, and there are certain mechanisms that are available for that dialogue to go on, which is not to say that you know, it can't be, can't be bet, you know, done better. Mm. Um, I'm conscious of the fact that we said that we were going to finish at five. Um, and so I'm going to draw uh, the, question, the questions from the floor to a close. And what I'm going to try and do in a couple of minutes is to um, draw some conclusions from the day, um, and, and at least from the Australia Council's perspective, um, say where we might start to go, to go forward. I said at the, um, at the start of the day that this was a day about um, exploring cultural research networks. And I think what the discussion has really brought home today is that when we think about cultural research networks, we're not just talking about academic researchers talking to each other, and that we're actually talking about a much broader and more inclusive network of um, people who are involved in working specifically in this instance with young people and the mm. arts. Mm. And that the, the challenge for us uh, here at the council is how we can think about ways in which we um, facilitate those and engage those networks, bring the networks together and establish networks or create networks of networks or enable networks of networks. Um, so certainly for me, I will take away from this day thinking about how we can use the resources that we've got to do that. There's been talk about um, you know, further ARC linkage projects that might come out of some of the ideas that were talked about today. That's good. I think we should talk about those. Um, the thing about the linkage projects is, from bitter experience, they take a long time to set up and they take, a, you know, you know theatre space, as Michael said, it's five, five six years since the, the first idea okay. came to us sitting here talking about what some of the results are. You know, and sometimes that's necessary for to have that sort of longitudinal uh, study. But I think we also need to be aware of, uh, if you like, the, the quick wins, how we can f facilitate um, the sharing of information, um, research that um, connects up, you know, as, as, uh, as um, you know, Sarah was saying, connects up organisations that have made um, inroads and progress into solving some of the questions and how those are shared. And certainly we will look at ways in which you know, we as you know, a funding agency can um, facilitate that. Um, I think you know, 
today has been a useful day. Um, there's been a lot of you know, good discussion, good ideas, um, which we can all take away from it. We will undertake to keep that um, dialogue going and you know, invite you again to use the resources that we're providing online to share information. Um, we will certainly continue to put um, information resources up there and you know, we're looking at ways in which we can you know, get better at doing that. And, and you know, one of the, the roles that Elliot has brought on board to do is help us do that in a better way and engages in the online space where young people are, but also increasingly researchers have to be. Um, so I think for me that's you know, what the, 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 the use of today has been, because it's what we wanted to achieve was to bring people together who had a common interest in, in this, this topic and start a dialogue going. We've got some ideas of where solutions and, and, and um, further progress could be made. There's a way to go, um, and certainly um, I've got a lot out of today, and I hope that you have in terms of making contacts, hearing from new, new people, new perspectives, and we um, here at the council are going to continue doing that sort of thing to encourage that kind of communication and, and cross-fertilisation between um, researchers in the sector. And you know, again, going back to what I said before, is broadening the idea of who a researcher is and what what research can be done. Mm. Um, a few thank yous are in order. Um, I want to thank again um, Michael for being such a fantastic MC <coughs> and keeping us to time. Um, I thank Ricky Jane again for the role that she um, played in um, bringing this day, day together. Um, I'd like to thank all the panellists for their, their time, their contribution, the insights that they made. Um, I think that's been very valuable. And um, I'd also like to thank a few people here at the Australia Council that helped make this happen. Um, in particular, Tandy Williams, who's worked you know, very closely on making this day a success. And also, um, she's not here. I think she's... she's um, Val Morgan Purtis, who is up, up the back of the room. Val's the one who's made the, the, all of the mechanics of today happen. She organised the AV, the, the food, everything. So the fact that today has been seamless is largely due, due to her, and I, I want to thank her very much for what she's done today. And lastly, I want to thank all of you for, for coming and contributing. <laughs>